Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and we have a wonderful show ready for today. But before we get going with that, let me take a few minutes just to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of the wonderful speech-language pathologists and special instructors and OTs. We had three OTs at my conference, in, or my courses, our two days in Baton Rouge last Thursday and Friday, and I just had a fantastic time with them. I always feel like I'm from Louisiana every time we go there, and just tons and tons of fun. And I bet we have some new podcast listeners because so many people were interested in getting the details for listening to the show and, again, got such good feedback from old friends, other uh, speech pathologists and special instructors that I've met on previous trips to Louisiana for, for courses and conferences. So again, welcome to our old friends as well as our new friends from Louisiana. Let me also make a couple of announcements about upcoming dates. I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia at the Civic Center on November 7th and 8th, and you can get registration details at my website, teachmetotalk.com. And then I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown, my hometown event on Thursday, December 5th and then in Indianapolis on Friday, December 6th. And again, you can get all of those registration details at teachmetotalk.com. And if you are having any difficulty at all or have any questions, just email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com. All right, let's talk about today's show. We have a fantastic speech-language pathologist that I'm so excited that I get to talk to and meet, even if it's just via this phone call, and it's Katie Yeh from Playing With Words 365. How are you, Katie? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, Katie is in a really unique perspective or unique position. She's a pediatric speech-language pathologist, but she's also the parent of a late talker. (laughs) And lots of people can hear that and go, how can that be? How can you have a late talker when this is what you do, when this is your job? But it happens a lot, and I have, I've built my caseload and my career around treating other speech-language pathologists and other therapists' <laughs> children, and sometimes people think, you know, you, that, that won't happen to you because you're a professional, you're an expert. You know, you, how, how can this be? So I'm so excited that Katie agreed to talk with us about her experiences and again from her position as mom and speech language pathologist so Katie tell us your story and then we'll just kind of go from there well um Everett is my middle child I have three children and um he surprised me at being the early talker at first his first word Uh was nine and a half months he said bye-bye and I thought, oh, he's going to be a great talker. And then no more words came for months and months. Wow. <laughs> and he was a great And we hear that. Well, let me just tell, say really quickly that I've heard that from a lot of moms who say, really? I wasn't worried at all. Because, yeah. you know, and I'm talking about just generally because they'll say, I'll say, you know, talk to me about your child's communicative history. When did you first become worried? Was it kind of, you know, before they were a year old? And a lot of times moms say, no, he had a word or two. I just thought, oh, well, it's going to come on in when it comes on in. And it, because of that word at nine and a half or 10 or 11 months, you really think things are just about to happen any minute. So you're not overly concerned about that. Exactly. I mean, I, I just was so thrilled. You know, he was saying bye-bye to everybody, waving and all that good stuff, and then it uh-huh. kind of stopped. You know, he uh-huh. was a great communicator. He communicated with gestures and some signs and um, pointed at everything and jab, jibber-jabbered, mm-hmm. but no real words. And finally, mm-hmm. you know, I had family members asking me, when is he going to talk? And I went, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no pressure you know? there, huh? Uh-huh. No, he's getting there. He's getting there. Um, and when other 18-month-olds are starting to explode with language, right. you know, he had his right. five words. 
And wow. so, it, you know, everything, he's the typical late talker in the sense that everything else, development, was completely typical. Um, right. His motor skills were advanced, and he was very social, but right. the words just didn't come. And they, right. you know, and I tell people all the time, I didn't really therapize him either, you know. <laughs> there are, there yeah. are things that I do naturally because of what I do for a living, which I know helps him. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. which is, but I never cognitively really did very much. Um, I was just kind of waiting, you know, and, um, you know, when is it coming? And then once the word started flowing, I probably became a little bit more cognitive about how I was interacting with him, um, right. you know, to, to help him along a little bit. But it was it's definitely very interesting being on this end. And having family ask me, when is he going to talk? And then when he did start talking, he um, he actually really exploded. He he will be three in January. Mm-hmm. Um, he really exploded the last probably four months with his language. Mm-hmm. Now he talks up a storm, but he has very odd speech patterns now. So yeah. I'm going from my late talker to my 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 funny little talking boy. <laughs> that yeah. People, but that's yeah. okay. That's okay. It's okay. And a lot of, yeah, and a lot of times we do hear lots of those little atypical patterns, either with sound substitutions or prosody or even, and prosody, for those of you who are not speech pathologists, there's just the rhythm of how we talk. And then sometimes we'll we'll hear little differences even with, their little sentence structure, we would call that syntax. So what what kind of, what of those issues is your little guy having now, Katie? Is it the sound substitution stuff? He's got um, a couple things. One of the big things that he's got going on is his prosody. His prosody has always been a bit robotic. Um, yeah. And it's gotten a lot better in the last probably two months, but we're still kind of working on that one. Um, Very robotic speech. His articulation, you know, is is interesting, to say the least. He he doesn't, (laughs) his patterns are not, not, not quite as typical as what I'm used to seeing when I'm working with children. Right. he doesn't, you know, no, no apraxia or anything, which for those of you listening um, is a motor speech disorder. It's not, not like that, but he, he just says some very interesting um, substitution patterns. Um, and, oh. like, he even will sometimes delete the, uh, the beginning of sounds of words, but then in other words he doesn't. Very inconsistent. Um, and then wow. the next day he'll nail that word, <laughs> and then it's done. So... It's been really interesting um, watching him develop, and it's made mm-hmm. it's totally, totally, you know, basic things happen for a reason. It's totally yeah. opened my eyes to what it's like to be a parent. Right. Right. You know, I have I have the knowledge in my head of kind of knowing he's going to be okay, and I know how to guide him, which I know that, you know, the typical parents out there, that's what we're for. But right. still, I... I'm sorry about my, my infant is starting to, to cry. Um, but Katie has a, let's, very, let's talk about that for a second. Katie, you're holding your two-month-old little boy, right? You've just had I your am. third baby. And it's yes. you can't really shuffle a newborn off like you can preschool-aged children to grandparents when you're going to do something like a podcast. So I appreciate exactly. you having him there and agreeing yeah, to I do it, even though things may not be you know, as perfect with circumstances as we would like. And don't worry about me vocalizing in the background and crying because that's just, that's just part of it. And if you, need to, if you need to go calm him for a second let me just blab on, we can totally do that. So you just decide what it will be to do. So you might want to blab for just a minute. Okay, let's do that. I want to go back and kind of talk about one thing that you said about Everett's early history. Katie mentioned that she was not worried about Everett's social interaction skills or his communicating intent. And so by social interaction skills, oh, we can hear it. By social interaction skills, 
remaining that he wanted to communicate with other people. He was engaged. He was smiley. He was trying to, um, you said he was using some gestures with some pointing, and he learned some signs. So he certainly had those foundational pieces. Now, if you are a mom listening and you're thinking, hmm, that's not the same as my child, I want to really encourage you to not dismiss those very real concerns because having that adequate social interaction and that, and again, professionals call that engagement, meaning that your child is with you. He's not a kid who wants to do his own thing all the time or is kind of self-absorbed or really difficult to get his attention so that you can share an experience and play together. Katie's little guy had all that going on. And then he had that next little piece, which is that he's using gestures. Now, anytime we don't see gestures emerge by 12 months, it's a big deal because we know that that's when it happens in typical development. So even when our little guys have more of a generalized developmental delay, we still see those gestures emerging 12 months, 15 months. So if you have an 18-month, a two-year-old who's not gesturing, who's not waving bye-bye, who's not clapping with you, who's not trying to point to get your attention to say, like, look, Mommy, look at this, or point to indicate wants and needs, meaning he's going to point to the very specific cereal that he wants in the cabinet. If you're not seeing any of those things, those are huge red flags. And, again, I would just say there's a lot more going on with that kind of child than light talking. And so you absolutely need a professional, a speech-language pathologist, to help you wrap your arms around that uh, pretty significant communication challenge. So again, I always try to, when we, when we do a show and we use words like late talker, a lot of times moms just are really aware that there are no words yet, but they haven't quite understood that there's more going on than just late talking. And so again, I want to be sure that we are addressing that and saying you weren't concerned about your little guy with those areas at all because he had great intent. He just didn't mm-hmm. have the words yet, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 His intent was great. I mean, he he definitely we had no, and he never was frustrated either. He he always had yeah. a way to communicate, which was right. um, which was another reason where you know, and he's always been kind of a laid back kid, which helped. Right. Um, and we're thankful for that. Um, but yeah. he he never had the huge frustration, although he does now. Now at almost right. three. Back this last week, it's gotten worse because he's putting together eight and nine word sentences, and he's got a lot wow. to say now. But wow. the problem is that we don't always understand it. And right. he he became um, very good because of my my working with him. He became very good at making sure I understood his message. So now he makes sure you understand his message, and he is relentless. <laughs> So you know, I will be driving in the car, and Everett will be in the back saying something, and I have no idea what he's saying. Yes, as a speech language pathologist, sometimes even I cannot understand my own child. <laughs> and um, I've accepted it now. It took me a little while, but I have accepted that sometimes I just can't understand him. And so I will repeat back what I think he says, and he will get frustrated. No! And then he'll say it again. But he's... Yeah. Um, he he learned to rephrase sometimes if when he can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's also learned how to use um, gestures and pointing and give me other cues. And right. and my and my daughter who's almost five. The other day I said, Ellie, what did Everett just say? And she knew exactly what he said. Oh my another, goodness. Yeah, I had a feeling because there's been times when I go, what? And Ellie will you know, yell out from the back seat. He wants blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. And then it makes sense. So she's his interpreter. Yeah, my daughter's very good at interpreting um, when I'm a little lost. And there are other times when he's he's quite, um, his speech is a lot more clear and understandable. Mm -hmm. 
But right. there's so much language now, and the motor skills are not caught up, that yeah. sometimes it just, yeah, we've just hit, like I said, the last week, we've hit a huge kind of frustration area, and he's you very know, aware now. That happens a lot, and I've seen that happen with a lot of children. They finally do have their language explosion, but their little phonological systems, speech sound systems, articulation, whatever you want to call it, whatever your camp you're in with that, as a professional, yep. sometimes it really does take a while for that to catch up. And I always tell moms when this happens, you know, we knew there was probably going to be an issue with that because of the delay, because of how late yep. language was to get going. So it would be a big surprise that a, that speech would be okay or the intelligibility piece would be there because we know that system has been disrupted. And so we can expect to have additional challenges, but even when we see it in real life, and especially in your position as somebody who works <laughs> with kids with these yeah. kinds of delays, it does always feel kind of, not. it's not a surprise, but then again it is because you think, oh, my goodness, you know, now that we've gotten language going, this speech part a challenge too. Yeah. So I, I know. And I've been asked before, um, do you think he'll need speech therapy? Um, mostly by friends that don't exactly know what I do. <laughs> um, and I said, well, um, he might, um, but yeah. we're going to keep our eye on it. And they said, oh, well, will you do it? And I said, nope. <laughs> if yeah. he needs help for his articulation, um, his phonology skills, then I will refer him on to someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point, I'm not sure that he will, It, but I don't know. And um, yeah. I mean, we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. Um, Right. He's not quite three yet, so um, right. I'm going to see how his sound system is looking at three and kind of evaluate there, mostly because of this yeah. new frustration issue. Um, and if I don't, if I see we're halting in our skills, then we might we might do that. And um, it's interesting because there are a lot of speech therapists out there that have had their children, like you said, in speech therapy. <laughs> it happens whether it's yeah. you have a late talker or um, you have a child that has articulation delays, you know, it happens to us yeah. too. Yeah. So, it's yeah, totally so we're does. taking that yeah, one day at a time with him. And I will just say that all three of my children had articulation issues, and it was so funny the last, our daughter who's 17 now and a senior in high school, and he wants to be a speech-language pathologist, by the way. Oh, and she, that's awesome. But, it's so much fun. But she, uh, oh, her articulation was terrible. And so every time, you know, we would be at the pediatrician's office, and especially if it were a doctor that I didn't have a pretty good relationship with, that they had not remembered me from previous visits, they talked to me every visit about oh, her funny. intelligibility. And I would have to say, please check the chart. Note my occupation here. I yeah. am a pathologist, and she is getting therapy a lot. We just don't really call it that. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're just yeah. talking. Exactly. Oh, that, and that so, is funny. Yeah, and Jonathan, our oldest, actually qualified for some speech therapy at school, but they were to take him out of his uh, reading that language portion part of the day and he has um dyslexia and so oh, we could never work out uh and that was been again a long time ago because he's 24 now but we could never work that scheduling piece out so I finally said oh my goodness this is you know just for a th and an r you know when he's in right right surely I can address this and we're going to be okay long term and it's not right. really you know we don't think these little errors are what's causing his reading issue but I don't want him pulled out of this main academic portion of his day and exactly. so again these these things happen to all of us, and it doesn't matter. And I, I told you this before the show started, and I talked about this a lot in Baton Rouge last week because I got a question that kind of made me feel like um, either the person had misinterpreted something that I said or maybe she just had kind of this is her general philosophy, but she was hmm. saying how environment 
and she I don't remember exactly how she said the question, but my interpretation was that she was almost giving the environment a little more leeway, or not leeway, that's the wrong word. She was just almost blaming, again, mm. not a specific parent, but late right. talking and stuff in general and just saying that we need parents to really step up and do their part because then we wouldn't see as many issues with children. And I've just felt like, whoa, 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 whoa. I get to see now parents from all over the United States, and again, if they're coming to see me in my private practice, they have great resources, they're traveling, they're spending this money, and and again, those are families with higher education levels and higher socioeconomic status, yet they still have children with very real developmental issues. And so we can't blame parents, and we can't say... This is your fault because it happens across the board. And certainly talking with you, Katie, I mean, you're advanced uh-huh. degree, and this is what you do all the time. Yeah, I know. I help other yeah. late talkers, and I had one. And believe me, there's there's so much more to a child's development. Yes, the, the parents play a role, obviously. Exactly. We, we all know that. Yes. Um, a huge yes. role, but... But that doesn't mean that if you have a child that's a late talker or has any other developmental delay, that, that the parent wasn't the cause um, right. or even contributed at all to right. the issue. I mean, I, I um, you know, my, my son was born at an interesting time in our lives, and, um, and I just was so thankful to have him because of, of what we were going on with my daughter, some things that were going on with her. <laughs> You know, I mean, he he got all the same, if not more, attention as the second child, and got so much language and so many um, activities and fun things that we did together. Um, and then being the younger child, he also had his older sister as an example, and she was her language skills were great. And yet, he still was late. You know, right. so there's so right. many variables. It, it has oh. a funny, funny fact about me. I was a late talker. So there you go. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I spoke very little until I went to preschool at age three. I spoke, mm-hmm. and what I did say was not too intelligible <laughs> from what I'm told. And then right. I went to preschool and just exploded with language. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have any speech therapy. I went on to you know, graduate high school and college and master's and all that good stuff. Um, but that right. sometimes there is just genetics that play a role. And exactly. he followed in mommy's footsteps. Right. Just like, both, just like both of my children followed in their daddy's footsteps and were early walkers, you know. Yeah. I was not an early walker either. <laughs> I was a late child in everything I did. So... <laughs> Uh, but you know, but, that's hope though. That gives parents listening up a lot of hope that you yeah. are on the later end of acquiring both motor and communication yeah. milestones and you yeah. turned out great. So I, yeah, I didn't walk till I was fourteen months. You know, my kids both yeah. walked at ten months. And wow. but see that's how my husband was. He walked at nine months. So we had right. the early motor skills, you know, in both of my children. My first right. two, um, Followed suit, both very good motor right. skills. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been um, being a parent, an SLP parent of a child as a late talker, and then I have a daughter with a chronic illness, put me on the other side of the coin, right. and it's taught me a lot. My, my daughter went through, through physical therapy and occupational therapy, and wow. here I was, the speech therapist <laughs> on the other side. Yeah you know, um, on the other side of that. And um, and that was when my son was just an infant. And then he grew up to be the late talker as well. So my children have taught me a lot and about being, uh, and you know, I've always had this huge motivation to help parents understand speech and language and help them help their children. But then my own children just, just, pushed me a step further, you know. I, yeah. I, a lot of things, I had a lot of aha moments the last couple of years in regards yeah. to my profession and how I how I, I interact with my my clients and their families. 
So right. it's been a good experience having my little so, my, my little my little yeah. kids. Well, I think it is. I I do think being a parent totally changes just what our expectations are for our clients and for their their families. You know, and I think all of those experiences do, you know, and again, are kind of, or all of those things culminate. And I don't know if you believe happen for a reason or whatever anybody's individual belief system is, but they certainly exactly. contribute and make us eventually who we all become. And so, back to that whole point about the whole environmental piece, I just have to tell parents all the time, you know, this is not your fault. This is not anything that you've done. This is just how your child came wired. You know, there's, it's, we certainly can make it better, but it's not, you know, I always encourage parents just to let go of that guilt. And we all have guilt as moms over everything, you know, whether it's, oh my goodness, she has a cold now. I think I let her lick the rail (laughs) on the cart at the grocery store too much. That's my fault. Or, you know, whatever, all the stupid things we blame ourselves for as mothers. And so I think that's a big, big lesson. And I think it's, it's comforting for other, other moms to hear, my goodness, this person is a professional and she still had those kinds of things. So, okay, you've talked about those aha moments that you've had, and you've written a ton about this on your website. So what kinds of things would you share that have been your biggest things that you've changed since you've parented a late talker, Katie? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, generally speaking, I have an incredible amount of empathy um, for the parents that I work for work with more so than before. Not that I didn't have any. Of course I did. That's why I got into this job. But it's a much more, it's on a personal level now. Um, I felt it both with my daughter and my son. So, and I, and I've been there with the guilt big time. Um, Was it my fault? Was it something I did? Was it because I let my kids eat too many Eggo waffles? (laughs) You know? So I think, um, I think as a, it really just hit me, you know, oh, my gosh, that's what these that's what these parents that I'm working with, that's how they feel. You know, they feel guilty and, um, and helpless, and they need me to help them, you know. And, yeah. and it kind of, um, the reason why I started my um, blog was as soon as I started having my own children, all my friends started asking me, is this normal? Is this normal? What should I do? Is this normal? And so I, I would just start, you know, I'd make it a blog post, you know, yeah. like, well, let me write about that because that will help answer your question and everybody else's. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started. And then with my son mm-hmm. being um, a late talker, I also started writing posts that, that revolved around that. In fact, one that I that I wrote that um, I know we've talked about um, is the is the question asking post. I have two posts about about um, why how how asking questions is not necessarily going to make your child talk more. Now I'm a speech language pathologist. I know this. I teach parents this. I found myself okay as as a parent asking my son a lot of questions and he couldn't answer them. Because he couldn't yeah. talk. And I had this aha moment. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, I I know I tell parents this, although I'm not, maybe I'm not explaining it very well because look at what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing the same thing. It's right. natural. And right. that's why I had, to, I, had to, I had to write about it. I had to say, oh, my gosh, look at this. Like, here you are. You want your child to talk. It's very natural to ask questions. And then the type of questions that you ask, and even to this day, even even though I'm more cognitive about it and I'm, I, I'm listening to myself talk more, I still catch myself in these moments where I ask my son questions where he only needs to answer yes or no. And <laughs> those kind of questions don't offer um, opportunities for communication and language learning. So um, 
those were the kind of things that that's one of the aha moments I had was, oh, my gosh, I'm doing this. Let's write about it. And um, also I wrote a post all about how important pointing is because mm-hmm. it's one area of um, huge, huge, it's just a huge communication um, that a lot of parents don't, don't know, uh, understandably yeah. so. They don't right. really talk about pointing in the parenting books very much. It's just on a list of red flags. If your child isn't pointing, right. you know, by 15 or 18 months, you know, go get an assessment. Um, but they don't tell, talk about why. And exactly. I think that that's a piece that's missing from a lot of uh, information for parents to read. Why? Why do they need to point? Why is that important? Um, and my son kind of taught me. I mean, I knew, but he kind of retaught me why pointing is so important. And so, so I how literally do you summarize him. that? Yeah, how do you summarize that when you're talking about that with parents? That's great information, Katie. So, so what do you say when you're talking to a parent about that? So I talk about how when your child, when you're out and you're having an interaction with your child and he or she starts pointing at something that – that he is communicating, can be communicating many different things. He can be communicating to you that he wants you to see something. But that's not all he's doing. He's also making you look at something. And it's making you think about what he's looking at. And it's making you think about what you can say about that thing. So you're going to be able to give him more information. He sees that airplane in the sky. He points. Whether he says airplane or not is irrelevant. He's pointing, and he wants you to see it, and he wants you to talk about it. And if you just say, oh, it's an airplane, and walk away, I mean, and that's fine. Sometimes that is what you're going to do because you have other things to do. But once in a while, you know, sitting down and saying, oh, my gosh, (gasps) yes, that is a big airplane. And then you know what he might do? He might say big airplane after you, or he might not but he's listening, depending right. on what level of communicator he is. And so we talk about how pointing is not just him showing you something. It's also kind of like a request to, hey, teach me. What is that? Mm-hmm. Talk to me. Yeah. And, you know, give me language that I can learn. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I explain it. It's more than just a point. It's so much more. And, yeah. you know, most parents don't know that. I mean, exactly my own right. son taught me more about pointing than than a lot of, you know, anything else did. Then you <laughs> learned like, in grad oh. school, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such an amazing tool when you can't speak. So, yeah. um, and I was able to give him that language and teach him language through, and, and you following his lead. It's very important. You know, they're showing you what they're interested in so that we can follow their lead. And they're going to be much more apt to be able to learn communication skills when it's about things they want to learn about. Um, well, and we I think a lot about. of yeah, and I think a lot of therapists really dismiss that because they go in a session with an agenda or with a plan, and they yeah. are constantly trying to redirect the child's attention rather uh-huh. than going with what the child naturally likes. And again, we say following his lead. Again, pursuing his little train of thought, and yep. his attention is naturally. Uh, what he's going to pay attention to more rather than trying to constantly say, look at this, come on over here, we're going to do this, this is what I had planned for the day, da-da-da-da-da. And I like to tell therapists all the time, you can use your strategies with anything. It doesn't really matter what your subject is or what the specific toy is or the specific activity. We should be good enough to use those strategies all the time, and then we should be teaching parents how to do that too so that it's not the material that's so important or what the child likes that's so important. It's how we embed those strategies and, and again, what the child already wants to do rather than constantly trying to redirect attention. And I think that happens a lot. And a lot of our our counterparts that are educators get a little hyper-focused on, we have to get the child to learn to do non-preferred activities. It has to be an adult-directed activity. And I just want to say for a two-year-old, why? You know, I have trouble with that at 47. So, of course, I feel you. Yeah, and so that happens a lot. And so I think that's such a good point with following their lead and, and doing things they like to do because then their attention is naturally uh, engaged. Yep. 
I agree. Totally. <sighs> okay. So the pointing was really big deal. What were some other things? We talked about, Katie. Let's go back for a minute with those other great articles that you talked about, those posts with not doing so much question asking. And it's important to, as speech pathologists, we all know this, but again, parents probably don't. Why don't you kind of teach those articles for us with the importance of commenting and kind of keeping the conversation going without all of those uh you know, rapid-fire questions. Yes, yes. <clears throat> yeah, one thing that um, I found myself doing a lot was asking too many questions that um, required just the yes-no answer. Um, it, it's common. All, we all do it. Um, right. You know, even, um, or asking questions that were too big for my child. Right. So, right. you know, he, he couldn't answer them. Um, and, but the big thing is, when you when you ask uh, <laughs> when you when you ask them a yes or no question, um, any or a question that they can answer with just yes or no, that's where the the conversation stops pretty much. Because right. the only thing you can really do after that is ask another question. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> depending on the child's level, um, you would only want to ask. You know, and every SLP has their own. You know, kind of idea of how many is okay, and it really depends on the child, but you want to right. provide the child with more comments, uh, particularly right. on the things that they are engaging in at the time. Um, right. Another thing I realized that I was doing was asking, especially for my two-year-old, asking questions about things that had happened in the past or future, um, right. which is it's a bit harder for children of that age to grasp. Um, just now at three, you start almost three. He's, you know, that's just starting to become a reality. Oh, I could, I know kind of what happened yesterday. Um, and so, kind of working on not asking about the past and the future very much. Um, that's another thing I've noticed. Um, so that I've taught some of the parents I've worked with before. You know, try to stay in the present or the close present. Um, what's visually in front of you? Um, that kind of thing. That's, of the other tips that I give. I think that's um, really important. And a lot of times parents, and I know every speech pathologist listening, can relate to this story. You'll see a kid, whether you've seen them at home or perhaps they're coming to your office or even if you're in a school setting, and the first thing the mom says is, you know, tell her what you did yesterday or tell her that yeah. new word you said yesterday when you were at grandma's. And I just yep. think, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, they're going to use all their cognition trying to remember or not. You know, they automatically, that's not relevant, so they blow it off. And then mom tries harder, and then it just results in everybody being frustrated. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, it's a very big, the concept of time is very big. <laughs> it's, it's not something that two-year-olds get. And um, sometimes right. we, and even, as I said, even as a, as a SLP, I, I even found myself doing it um, and catching myself and saying, oh, my gosh, that's not appropriate for this child, right. you know. Right. Um, and especially this child that has a difficulty speaking um, and doesn't have a lot of language yet. I mean, now, just my son, Everett just started preschool. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't even ask him. That's another thing about what did you do at school today? He's not going to answer. <laughs> um, so, but we do that. I mean, every mom does that as soon as they get in the car. I mean, that's one yep. of the things. And then we badger them, even if we're asking more specific questions. And sometimes I'll feel like a mom needs more help with that. And so I'll say, yep. well, maybe you can give some forced choice questions, meaning that you might say, um, who you know? What did you have for snack today? You know, apples or you know, cookies or whatever, so that they at least have something to imitate. The the bad thing is, though, a lot of we don't really know, and so we have to ask it as an open-ended question, and then yep. there's you know nothing to rely on there. So I tell moms who need that information, you better get a little update from the teacher with what happened that day, if she's even got time to give it to you, so you'll have something 
concrete yep. to talk about where you at least kind of know the answer. And all of us have had those experiences where our child just says something kind of off the wall when somebody asks them a question and you think, where did that answer it come from if they've answered it yeah. all? So that yeah. prior knowledge really does go a long way. But I agree with you. Those questions really stop the conversation because yep. often children have no idea what their what the answer is even supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing about asking, and then if you get in this pattern of asking the question, they say yes or no, and you ask another question, they say yes or no, and you keep asking, you keep asking. Um, and like I talk about in my post, um, if you imagine as an adult someone coming up to you at a social gathering and they're firing questions off at you, how is it going to make you feel? <laughs> and they're not, and, yeah. and, and very similar questions, and then they just keep moving on. Um, it makes you, you don't want to talk to them. That makes you want to walk away. That's not a conversation. It's, it's exactly. a one-sided conversation. That person is you talking, feel like you get one word in here now. Well, our children, these little guys, are not much different from that. You know, yeah. they're all they hear is blah, 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 and I can't, you know, I, they can't answer past yes or no. And right. then you keep asking more, and then they get tired. It's exhausting. Yeah. Um, it is it's exhausting for a child that can speak well. So imagine what it's like for a child who's struggling in that in that area. Um, it's it's, it's going to make them. It can make them shut down, and I've seen it happen. And, oh, I have seen. Um, and I tell moms all the time. Even my typically developing children were even in kindergarten and first grade not very good conversationalists about what happened at school. Right yep. as I picked them up. The whole yep. rest of the night, they may provide some insight into their day, or if we maybe looked at a little paper that they did together or a little art project or whatever they had, that was a good frame of reference, and we didn't use that because we had some context there. But even, That's again, right. typically developing children at five, six, and seven still struggle with that, yet we expect yep. our little two- and three-year-old and four-year-old friends to be able to do it when their older, typically developing counterparts can't do it either. So, Yeah, my, my daughter's almost five, and when I pick her up from school, um, I always ask her how her day was. And one thing that we started doing to, to try to start a little bit of conversation, and this does work for our, our child, is um, I started asking, can you tell me two things you did at school today? And now she's almost, yeah. and her language is fine, and she's typically developing. And and for some reason, that just, I think it kind of takes the pressure off her. And she's very happy to tell me two things she did. Um, yeah. And, and that's been cool. Um, that's a great I am learning more about, yeah, I, it's, it's not going to work for every child because there are just some children that, well, either they don't want to talk about it or it's just there's so much to happen in their day that being able to process all that and pick one thing to talk about could be difficult. Yeah. But even for a right. typical kid. I mean, exactly. think about it. If they're at school for three or six or eight hours, depending on how old they are, there's a lot that happens. It's a um, lot. And, you know, my daughter's there for three three hours of preschool. Um, and... So it definitely helped to say, you know, can you tell me two things that you did? Or sometimes I'll say three and she will do it, um, but I stick with two most of the time. And mm-hmm. and she usually will tell me, you know, oh, I, I made this. She's really big into art. So, yeah. oh, I made, I drew this picture, you know, and then she might say something about who she played with, but, uh, you know, outside. And then, yeah. and then we could take the conversation from there, especially if it's some... She tells me she played with some student that I've never met before, and then we kind of go, oh, okay, who's this, and talk about it. But I agree. I hear the um, – I've been asked a lot by my friends about their preschoolers. You know, why won't my preschooler tell me about their day? And so we've talked about it, and I've given that advice too. Well, you can try just asking them what one thing or two things they did, and they might be able to answer you. So – Well, another thing, too, is just letting a child have that moment when they get in the car and on the the way home, like you said, to just process what happened in their day and pull it together. A lot of kids, even if their language were just fine, wouldn't want to talk then at all because that's just their 
their transition time. And I, every mom knows how it feels when you've been away and you step inside that door and then everyone there bombards you yeah. with oh, their own yeah. needs. And that's how our kids feel, too. And sometimes not even, you know, just waiting until later in the evening to address those kinds of things or have those conversations, uh, that can be just as good. And it's okay to be quiet in the car sometimes. It doesn't have to be a constant back and forth. And I know I'm really sensitive, too, when when I've been in a group situation like that. I need a few minutes to kind of calm down and pull it together. And so I know our little guys need that, too. Yes. I'm the same way. Yeah. All right. So I'm looking at this article. And, again, Katie, why don't you tell us, let's see, I think we've talked about most of these strategies that you share with with alternatives instead of questioning just to really make those comments so that you are affirming what a child is seeing, and so, again, you're kind of providing language there that the child may not have, but comments work so well. So why don't you talk about how a conversation would look, or sound, rather, (laughs) with (laughs) comments rather than with questions. Right. So um, in the example that I kind of talk about in my my article, there's there's a little... Uh, a mom and a, a son, and they're on the ground. And um, in the first example, she's kind of firing off questions at him, and he's either not answering or he's answering yes or no. And basically, he's he's there at, at kind of one word. And in this example, she's trying to work with her child to get him to put words together, um, which is a very common goal for our little ones. We get them at right. saying one word, and then we've mm-hmm. got to move them past that. Um, right. And and because it, my own son was at the one-word stage for a very long time. <laughs> he had a lot of words for a long time but did not put them together until after he was two. So mm-hmm. anyway, so in my example, um, rather than firing the questions off, is when you're, when you're working with your child or just being with your child and you're sitting on the ground playing, watch your child. Okay, that's kind of the first step is yeah. is – like you were saying earlier, like some speech therapists will go in with like kind of an agenda for a session. I think it's mm-hmm. important for parents to know also to kind of put that agenda aside and just watch what your child is doing. What are they interested in? Watch what they're looking at. Um, right. Especially if they're especially if they're not talking very much at all, um, they're going to be communicating in different ways. So watch their nonverbal language. What are they looking at? Um, so. If, if you're sitting on the ground and your son's looking at the trains, talk about the trains. Comment. Mm-hmm. Not on the question. Don't ask them what color the train is. They don't need to know their colors. <laughs> Not important. <laughs> um, you know, don't ask them if it's the big one even. Just say, you can just say something like, oh, I see the train. Oh, here is my little guy right now, actually. Oh, do you need a napkin, dude? Okay. Um, you can say, oh, I see see the train. And you know what? Your little boy, instead of clamping up, he, he likely, depending on what level he's at, might say train right after you. And that gives you that opportunity to get those trains out. And then you can... Oh. Okay. Okay. Mommy's still on the phone. Um, sorry. <laughs> and my, my little guy had yogurt on his face. So he needed a he needed something from me. Um, anyway, so it gives you that opportunity to get those trains out, and then you can say, "Oh, you know, train the train goes choo choo." Instead of saying, "Hey, hey, Billy, what does the train say?" Instead of right. instead of telling him or asking him, just use it as a comment. Think about that question that you were thinking about asking. Stop, stop right there, and turn it into a comment. If you were thinking about asking him what does a train say say just stop yourself and answer it oh a train says choo-choo okay i think that's and great i think thinking about the second you think you're going to give him a question stop right there and try to change that question into a comment the child is more likely to participate he's not going to feel so pressured right my <laughs> everett's in here right now with me um and here want to open that up buddy and um there we go Okay, the child's going to be much more relaxed. It's not going to feel that pressure um, to communicate. Right. He's going to be engaged. Um, right. 
which when we're engaged, as we were talking about earlier, you're much, the child is much more likely to um, participate, try new words. Um, then you can sneak in a question once in a while. I think that's the important thing to know is that don't stop asking questions altogether. But right. you want to you wanna make sure that you're only using, um, you know, one question for every three or four comments when you're sitting yeah. there. With them. Yeah. And, and another reason why it's important to continue to ask questions is because, well, children do need to learn how to answer and ask questions. I mean, it's a normal right. part of the conversation, going back and forth. So it's right. not that you want to take that away. It's that you don't want the conversation to be ruled by questions because it doesn't provide yeah. the opportunities for language. And I know. And like I, I said, think I balance. even found myself doing it. Yeah. And I think you call that in your post balance. And I like how you said yeah. it. Balance, balance, balance. balance. And yep, it's, balance, it's, balance, balance. <laughs> and that's great information for speech pathologists to remember, too, because, you know, we know better and we still do it in sessions with kids. Oh, so I know. Really, I mean, I have yeah. totally caught myself doing it. Um, and I think, like, when we're talking about that agenda thing again, it's actually a really important point that you made about the agenda that sometimes, um, the best of us get caught in our agenda. And I feel like when I'm caught in my agenda is where more questions come out because I'm sitting right. there concentrating on the end point um, right. instead of instead of concentrating on, on the path to get there because the path right. to get to the end point is the most important. It's, right. Um, and even as, as SLPs, we can forget that sometimes, but for parents, it's such an important skill to learn because once they learn the skills, and I'm sure you know this, once you've taught those parents those skills and they're able to use them at home, it's amazing the progress that these little guys can make with our help. And the parents are so empowered. You know, when, when parents have these skills and they have their aha moments, like, I've, like we have our own, <laughs> um, yeah. they, it's just so cool to see the progress and to see these little guys come back to you the next week and they've got all these They've, they've got some new words that they didn't have, you know, the week before, or they're putting them together, you know. Like I, I, I said, my own son had a lot of one words for a long time. Um, and so when he started putting them together, it was, it was so exciting. That's another kind of um, – when my, when my daughter started talking, it was also typical. <laughs> um, I didn't really think much about it. Um, right. But when my son started t- talking, it was very different. When he started putting those two words together, it was like, wow, that is so cool. You know, my kid's putting two words together. Um, another aha moment my little guy taught me. Like, that's yeah. how, that's how my, my, the parents we work with are going to feel, you know. And they didn't really have that with my daughter because she was just so, you know. I mean, I thought it was, it was neat watching her grow up, but I didn't have that, that amazing feeling when, um, because it was so natural for her. So right. when you see these little steps happen, it's, it's just so cool. Um, you know, and now you're just talking up a storm. Well, and that's why it's important for us as therapists to really celebrate those successes along the way and really yeah. recognize how important those even little accomplishments and really celebrate yep. every new word. And, again, sometimes we get lost in that. And we're excited because we're meeting goals, but usually if it's, as a clinician, we're excited for about two seconds before we're pushing on to that next little goal. Right. When yep. sometimes we, we should really, yeah, we should really revel in that moment a little bit more, and really yep. understand how how much it means to parents who, like you, were hanging on every single word and where yep. everything was just um, such a big deal. So I think it's a really, really important point. All right, in this last few minutes, Katie, why don't you tell us about all the good stuff on your blog at Playing With Words 365. So oh, well, tell us how well, and And so anybody who's not a reader can uh, become acclimated to your site and all the great stuff that's on there. Yeah, well, so like I said earlier, I, I started it with the intent to help um, other parents understand speech and language development and give some tips. I feel like I have all this knowledge in my head, and I, you know, there's parenting books out there and all this stuff that I thought, you know, I'd love to to, to put out my information out there for free, you know, for, people, for the yeah. parents to read and learn from. 
So, um, so I started that about two years ago, and um, I also, when I started it, had a lot of emails and from 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 speech language pathologists as well. Um, they wanted information, so it could turn into this place, and I think of it as kind of a place to bring together. Um, speech language pathologists, parents, and other professionals, um, OTs and PTs. I, I, I have special educators, um, preschool teachers, and anyone that works in the early childhood education field. Um, I kind right. of feel like there's a little bit of something for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. I talk um, a lot about um, speech and language development in general. I have a whole page called Speech and Language 101, which has links to all the posts I've written that gives um, a lot of information about what to expect for speech and language development. Um, mm -hmm. I have a red flags page as well, you know, um, uh, to help you know the things, um, like we were talking about earlier, how, how important pointing is. And if you're not pointing and gesturing, that is a big red flag. If your child does not have that intent to communicate like we were talking about, huge red flag. Um, so that's on my red flags page. Um, I also have a page called um, how. Uh, um, sorry, my um, allergies are kicking in. How to help your okay. child talk, and um, yeah. we're just very similar to another website I know called Teach Me to Talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> and anyway, that's my little area of, of my tips um, that I give, and it's it's a work in progress, of course. I've been doing this for about two years, but. You know, every month I I come up with a better strategic plan of <laughs> providing my information. So that's why yeah. it's good to always kind of um, keep up with it because I'm I'm posting. Well, I used to post like three times a week, but now I just had a third kid. It's slowed down a bit. But um, yeah. I I try to get a couple posts out a week at least. And you know, I I also um, um I also have posts for that are aimed more at my colleagues um, for speech language pathologists. But when I pulled my readers last year, a lot of the parents said that they enjoyed all those posts as well um, because yeah. they're learning about things that I might be sharing with my fellow um, SLPs. So I kind of feel like it's a place for everyone. Um, yeah. And that, well, at least that's my goal. And um yeah. And yeah, and like, and up at the top of the uh, page, there's um, there's a menu at the top, and there's one that says for parents and one for SLPs. So it's an easy place for you to go to drop down menu. It has a list of different things that are kind of more specific for parents, and a list that's a little bit more specific for SLPs. Um, and oh, there's obviously information about who I am. Um, I'm not just some random person that lives on the internet. <laughs> I'm a real person that lives in California. And um, and I have my own little mini private practice. It's just me um, for now so that I can home with my kids. Um, I used oh, to work yeah. for a school district back in the day. And um, my um, – okay. And um, I talked about it a little bit on my blog, but um, my daughter became ill right when she was two. Kind of needed to be home at that time. Right, so, right. And my, and my husband had been, yeah, and my husband had been um, encouraging me to work privately for a long time. So that was a perfect yeah. plunge for me. And um, and my blog is kind of part of that. You know, it's kind of part of my my practice, part of how I'm helping, trying to help other. Um, other parents like me um, learn. Uh oh, what's wrong, dude? Well, Sorry, my, I think it's a great. Talker, that's okay. That's okay, and I think it's a great blog because you have lots of information on there. You've got tons of products reviews, and again, they may yeah. be resources for speech language pathologists or early educators or whomever would like to look at that. And again, lots of parents do benefit more from the more professionally directed posts than even yeah, they do. the more they, general. They tell me yeah. that all the time. They really they love do. them. So. And that's my whole website, my, teachmetotalk.com. I feel like I kind of perfect the walk in the line between is this for parents or is this for professionals. And again, oh, I know. So your site is fantastic. To both. And I, I I love yours too, and I think you've done such oh, a great job with that. So I want to encourage um, 
excuse me, any paranormal professional listening to check out Katie's work. And Katie, we're finished with the show. The hour is already over. Thank you so much oh, wow. for being oh, a part. <laughs> it did go fast for today's guest. And I hope that you'll come back in the future and we'll get to talk some more. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Oh, thank you. All right. You, you go tend to those babies now. All right, thank you. <laughs> okay, all right, bye. Bye. Uh, next, okay, and I want to plug next week's show. We have Sarah Bingham from We Hands. She's going to come talk to us about the power of signing and singing. So she does tons of music and tons of signing. That'll be a great show as well. Thanks so much. Have a sweet week. Bye.